Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. We preach through books of the Bible here because we are Jesus followers. We believe that Jesus has spoken to us through the Bible. And so uh, we look in here to see what it is that God wants to say to us. If you ever been uh, randomly somewhere and felt like God was speaking to me, you know, like felt like uh, I, was, I happened to be in Malibu um, for the last twelve days. Glory to God. And sometimes my wife was speaking to me, and sometimes God was speaking to me, and sometimes they were the same person. Uh, but uh, hello. Um, but uh, it's, it's amazing to look out over the ocean or look out over the mountains and, and feel God's presence. I, I was looking out and I saw this bird just flying around in circles, and God began to speak to me. Um, and uh, sometimes, whether it's through song or through sermon, whatever it is, God is speaking to us. And, and no doubt, many of us in this room have come to church, and, and because of the words that are in this book, when it was sitting on your mom's... Uh, oh, Lord. Uh, when it was sitting on your mom's coffee table, um, maybe you didn't get much out of it, or maybe it was a hotel and you didn't get much out of it. You tried to open up and read it, and maybe, maybe at one time you, you did get something out of it. But we come here each week to hear from it so that God can ignite in us and speak to us clearly about our lives, about our future, and what he wants for us, and so we don't take that lightly. So we're glad you're here. The book of Romans happens to be a letter. Originally, it was written from this guy named Paul, and uh, he was responsible for writing a lot of the New Testament, but um, he would write letters to churches and encourage them and give them instruction, and here we are some 2,000 years later still reaping the benefit of this wisdom. Um, this wisdom goes beyond millennium, and uh, many times we're, we're talking about things that, that uh, the world is just now catching up to, these, these, these things. But a lot of the Romans has to deal with how we are saved, how we're in relationship with God, and so that's one of the first base things that we have to get back to again and again and again is how do we relate to God? How do we uh, have have a, a relationship, communication with him? Some would say communion. Uh, it's kind of a, a, a big spiritual word, but it's just communication. It's relationship. Uh, some would say fellowship. Have fellowship with God. Those are very kind of uh, obscure words, but what they mean is that you interact with God every single day, and he is intimately involved in your life. And so that's what we want to have happen in our lives. That's why we're here today. That's why we each day we maybe open up the Word of God or, or watch a sermon on TV or YouTube or, or listen to Christian music. We want God to interact with us. And so the good news is, is all that happens through salvation. God saves us from our old life and gives us a new life so that he can interact with us. Aren't you glad about that? Say amen. amen. All right. So that's what Romans is about. And so as we look into that, uh, Pastor and, and I have, have been trying to convey to you this relationship with God and how vital it is and how it can be um, something that is amazing for your life. So we're going to start and we're going to read in chapter six. And I promise you, I promise you with everything inside of me, we're going to finish chapter six today. See, we've been trying for two months. Uh, it's a lot of verses, and I think me and Dad have preached the same verses at least four times a piece. Um, but hopefully, you're getting something out of it. Okay, so here we go. Turn your Bibles to Romans six and uh, verse eighteen. It'll be on the screen if you want to follow along there, or if you do it the old-fashioned way, which I do because 
I like the smell of paper. Uh, you can follow along there. Here we are. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 18. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, say amen, remember, remember that version of yourself, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence and power. It is a privilege to get to connect with you. It is a privilege to be in a place with other people who also have the same desire. I pray that today, as we come in here and we open our hearts, open our minds, open our lives, that you would speak clearly, that we would understand things that maybe we haven't understood before, and that you would give us insight for our future and where you want us to go and what you want us to do to be followers of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, uh, I often talk about my brother Johnny. He was here a couple weeks ago. He preached when I was, uh, I was gone. We, we took off to Malibu, and I was very happy about that. Um, we took off. I, I was such an idiot. This is an insight to my life. Uh, so I, I was going to book plane tickets for 3 p.m. because you have an all-day Saturday wedding, and you're like, um, you know, stressed out, and, then, and you got all this stuff. And where's, where's the ring bearer's pillow and then clean up and all that stuff? And, uh, and so I was like, well, I'll, I'll book a 3 p.m. flight. We'll get into Malibu. Somewhere along the way, I went against my logic and booked an 8 a.m. flight. So, uh, Erica and I went home at the end of the wedding. We did laundry and packed and put everything away. And then by 5.30 in the morning, or maybe even earlier than that, I think we woke up at 4.30 to, to get up and make sure we had everything after a whole wedding day. And it was a crazy day, but eventually we got to Malibu, and I was so thankful that Johnny came and preached. So did he do a good job? Because it's my job as an older brother to judge him constantly on his performance. And so I need to know... So I can, I can make sure that he did okay. Okay, he nailed it. Um, but Johnny's very competitive. I'm not competitive at all. Johnny will throw blows about um, just about anything. I've, I've seen him throw controllers across the room, slam them down on uh, video game controllers on the floor, and none of them belonged to him. He didn't pay a dime for any of them. Nor did he pay after he broke them. He just got really torqued off and left. So this is my brother, Johnny, the one you thought was so holy two weeks ago. He's not that holy, okay? Uh, just so you know. But he's very, he's very passionate. I used to beat the crap out of him on the basketball court. Um, so he, would, he wanted to be a, a basketball player about six years younger than me. So by the time I was in high school and playing high school basketball against all the teams from the inner city, um, I had learned that if you're going to play basketball, you got to have some you got to have some elbows and some hands in order to play with these dudes because they are coming through hard and they are, they are you know, 
kicking something and taking names. And so my little brother, he's like in sixth or seventh grade, and he's like, I want to be good at basketball. And I was like, okay, come out back, and I'll show you how to play basketball. So he's, you know, dribbling around. He's, he could dribble a ball like at two years old, or he could dribble two balls at the same time. And everybody's like, oh, Johnny's so good. Johnny's so good. He can dribble two balls at the same time, blah, blah, blah. So he came out, and he's got all these flashy moves. He's spinning around all the time. Like he can't get anywhere close to the basket. He would come through, and I would just hit him as hard as he could, and he would fall over. And then he would come through, and he'd spin. He'd try to spin, and I would just, I'd just push him out of the way. And he'd be like, ah, you can't do that. It's like, oh, yes, I can. Yes, I can, and they will. So all that stuff is not going to work unless you can get the ball in the hoop. And so it would get to the point where he would just quit, and he would walk off. Okay, so this happened in all of areas of life because I was older, so I would beat him at pool, I would beat him at ping pong, I beat him all this stuff. And so then I realized that if I beat him, one time that he didn't want to play anymore. So that meant for me that I had to just play ping pong or pool or whatever by myself. So then I figured out that if I let him win more often, I can play longer. You know what I mean? And so he got very competitive and I got very lethargic. But actually, as a matter of fact, although he was winning, I was actually winning because I was in control of his emotions. (laughs) So although I'm not competitive to the point that I'll throw controllers or quit and run off, I'm very competitive about something else that matters to me. So if I couldn't be the best player on the team, I would be the best looking player. Right? Right? So I had like, you know, just the right, the right uh, sweatbands, the right socks, the right shoes. I got a love for sneakers from playing basketball. I, I, uh, I had the right sweatbands on my, on my head. I had long hair at one point. I would, I would wear sweatbands, um, whatever it was, I wanted to be the best at something. So then I would create a different goal that would cause me to be a winner. Have you ever done this? Right? Everybody else is shooting for this one, and you're like, you guys are stupid. This is what really matters. Right? And so you create a value system based on who you are and what you want so that you can win. So uh, my brother Rod, his wife is 11 years younger than him. Okay, that was like the, the, the big talk of everything. He's, he's now up in his 50s, and, and he's got, he, he had this, this young wife for all of his life. And so as we're pulling away from the wedding on, on Saturday, um, he says, man, I'm just so proud of you and everything you've done, and, and, you know, and, and I love you and, and I care about you. And I said, yeah, and I got the youngest wife. He said, you do? I said, yeah. So how, how, how many years between you and Jess? He said, 11. I said, I got 12. And I pulled away, and you know what I did? I won. Okay? <laughs> I won. Now, all my life, Rod has beat me at ping pong. He's beat me at basketball. He's beat me at everything. Rod has just always been better. He had better hair. He was skinnier, all that kind of stuff. He was just cooler. And, but now I won. Why? Because I re positioned the goal. Competitive, but maybe not in the same way. I like the feeling of security that winning brings. Don't you? Isn't it like, like this why you get all worked up when you don't win? You don't have the security of saying, I won. I am the champion of this thing. I hold the title for this thing. It's come to the place where we give ribbons and trophies to everybody because everybody needs to have some security because it feels bad to not have won something 
to at least be acknowledged for something. And so we want the security of winning, whether it's whether the coolest, the best looking, have the most kids, have the youngest wife, have the best vacation, have the best car, have the best house, have the most houses. Whatever it is, we want some sense of security and we'll figure out whatever that is until we find what we're looking for. Now, Romans chapter 6, it says, look, he says, you were a slave to sin, but now you're a slave to righteousness. Now, you have to think of your life kind of like in B.C. A.D. So we all know that, that time is separated between uh, B.C. and A.D. So before Christ is, is all, all the years kind of went backwards, all the way up to zero. And then after Christ, they go zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, up until the year 2020. The dividing line for that is Christ's life. It's Christ's life. And so we have to look at our lives kind of from this B.C. before Christ. Do you remember what your life was like before Christ? Do you remember? Some of you don't remember, and that's fine. It's probably good that you don't. And some of you are like, just let me sit down and have a cup of coffee with you and tell you about my life before Christ. You ever, like, in, in your relationships or your parenting or at work, whatever, um, you, you ever have, like, some emotions or actions come up inside of you? And then you have to go, wait a second, that's, my, that's, that's B.C. Jason. <laughs> that's before, before Christ Jason. That was the, the B.C. version of me, right? And so we can, we can look back to this where we are slaves to sin, life. Okay? Now, when you're slaves to sin, this is what this passage says right here. It says, when you are a slave to sin, there's actually nothing righteous in you. That you can't even, like, get to the point where you're doing the right thing. In, in a sense, you're a loser. You lose continually. And you'll hear this language come out of people's life. Nothing good happens for me. I'm just cursed. You know, everything I do fails. Why does, why does this always happen to me? And part of that reason is because although God is good and he's interacting with your life, there's nothing in you that can find any security. You can't find a place where you go, here's where I win. And so the, the world kind of sets up all of these different things for you to win at. Well, he's so successful. What's he so successful at? He made $3 billion. He's the richest man on the planet. If you ask Bill Gates about how, much, how it feels to be the richest man on the planet, he'd be like, it's not that, not that good. What he finds value in now is giving it all away. He has to find a completely different target to hit because he's achieved that one. He got to the, the winning stand of, of this one area of life and goes, that doesn't give me security. It doesn't give me peace in my soul. It doesn't make me a winner. As a matter of fact, I'm still out here floundering away in wherever I am. No righteousness. And I don't know if Bill Gates is a Christian. And Bill Gates, if you're listening to this, please donate to ES first. Um, and I love Xbox. It's great. Um, but whatever you set up as your achievement will ultimately fail because there is no righteousness. Now, we have before Christ and then we have after Christ. Okay? 
It's like when Jesus comes into your life, and so many of us have this wrong in that we want to proceed after Christ as, I used to be doing bad. But now that I go to church and I sing the songs, I'm doing good. I'm going to try to do good. You ever felt this way? Right? And you start to like knock things off your list, you know? I didn't cuss today. And the next day, you know, something happens and you're just like, ah, I'm a little, ah. Like, oh man, I'm not doing so good anymore. Right? Or maybe it's used to be mean. You're like, I'm working on being nicer. And you just like mark it on your list. I'm being good. I'm being good. I used to watch these things. I don't watch those anymore. I'm being good. I, 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 six months, I haven't watched those things anymore. And then you come back and then you go, I watched them. Now what? I'm no longer good. I'm back to bad. And most people live their Christian life good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. Because they don't understand the truth of what's happening. And it's essence, what the, the winning relationship is that you go from old to new. From death to life. The only way you'll win is if you get saved by Jesus and Jesus himself. But instead, you set up all of these other targets. Because deep down, you know that you still got these old habits. And you know who you used to be. And I really can't get past that. I can't forgive myself. I can't move forward. I'm just trying to put good things on top of bad things. So my good things outweigh the bad. They're the wrong targets. You're trying to create security in the wrong things. And by all means, you may be a better person. Right? You may be doing better. You may be kinder. You may be gentler. You may be not addicted. You may be, uh, you know, not as angry as you used to be. You may not talk about people as much. Hello. So by all means, you may be better not gossip, you may talk about people. You may not lie as much as you used to. You may not steal from other people. Whatever it is, you have all these lists of things that you're trying to do better. But the Bible says when you're a slave to your old self, there is no righteousness. Even if you set up targets that look like goodness, that look like good person, that look like well-being, they won't work because there's a divining line between righteousness and sin. And the dividing line is Jesus. The dividing line is Jesus, and so he says this. Your old self is a slave to sin all the time. Your new self has to be a slave to righteousness. Remember how it was when you were a slave to sin. You woke up every morning and you're like, I have to X, Y, Z. You get around certain people and you just... Stuff came out of you. The things you said, the people you talked about, the things that you thought made you feel better, the things that you thought were your purpose in life, the things that you thought were all, you were a slave to those things. You couldn't put them away. It was your life. And every person in here, no matter how righteous they look, no matter how good their hair is when they come to church, all has these, this life. You have this life. He says, now, when you believe in Jesus... What happens is, 
is he gives you his righteousness. 2 Corinthians says it like this, 2 Corinthians 5. Give it to me real quick, L. It says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Okay? So it means like we live this old sinful life. We're slaves to this thing. And Jesus comes and he has no sin. And he dies on a cross to become sin. Bible says he hangs there and his father has to turn away from him. Jesus says, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does he say that? Because all the sin of all the world is put on Jesus, past, present, future. Everything that everyone has ever done wrong is put on that cross and punished on Jesus, even though he's perfect. So the Bible says God made him to be sin, even though he didn't have sin. Why would he do that? So that... In Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? It means I can't go, I'm doing better now, and earn my way into being a good person for God. You can't. It's paid. So the bottom of this passage, he says this. He says, The wages of sin. In other words, your life of living in sin has earned you, has earned you the status of sinner. You live a life of sin. It's your wages. And then he goes, but if you earn it, you'll have eternal life. Doesn't say that. It says this, the free gift of God is eternal life. You earn sin, but you receive the free gift of salvation. Yeah, give give it up for Jesus. But every single day we don't live like that. We live like, I got to do better. I got to be better. Because if I don't, then Jesus won't accept me. Jesus won't love me. I'm not righteous. I'm just a dirty old sinner. And then we create clubs where you can talk about, I'm just an old sinner. I'm an old sinner. You know, I sin every day. I sin every day. But I'm trying to be better. But you can't. I'm here to let you know you can't. Period. You can't. You can't. So what's the difference? What are you saying, Brandon? I mean, like, why am I here? Why am I trying to do good? And this whole chapter, he keeps, he keeps trying to reiterate this. He's like, should we just go on sinning? Should we just go on living our lives the way we we're doing? He's like, no. As a matter of fact, this righteousness, this free gift, gives you the ability to be completely righteous before God and to live in that. You'll grow in holiness just like when you used to do all these things over here. And this is what it says. It says, Um, just as uh, you used to offer yourselves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness. Because what happens between B.C. and A.D. in your life is over here you're obligated to be evil because you don't have an option. Over here, You're obligated to be righteous because it's just in you. You know what I'm talking about. 
Just like one day you woke up and you were a sinner, and the next day you woke up and you were saved, and then you were like, you know, I just don't feel like I should do, and just kind of say what it is. Nobody told you. As a matter of fact, you try and go back and, and hang out with the old people, and you're like, I just, I just, I just can't do this anymore. I just, it just doesn't make sense. You know, I don't feel like I'm winning over here anymore at these things. I don't have the security that I was trying to find. As a matter of fact, the only place I'm insecure is over here. And I know I still mess up. I mean, they were talking about Susie, and I was like, yeah, I know something about Susie too. Jump right in on that gossip. But something happened afterwards I didn't feel so good about that. And I hate Susie. It's because now you're a slave to righteousness. In the same way that over here, it didn't fulfill and you felt obligated to be over here even though it never fulfilled. And you're like, I don't know why I do this. And you're sitting around with your friends drunk at night. Like, oh, I don't know why we're doing this. Let's just get our lives together. We'll start Tomorrow. Something inside you knew that there was more. And now over here, you're saying, I know there's something more. As a matter of fact, that stuff doesn't fulfill me. But you're still living by the good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, back and forth. But God says that's not the way it works anymore. You're now my slave. You're a slave to righteousness. I know that inside you, there's something going higher, calling forward. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to convict you of sin and of righteousness. You ever look at your kids, and when they're doing bad, they're done, I don't say they're doing bad. It's not like they're like, maybe your kids do. My kids aren't quite there yet. Um, but Judah has gotten in this bad habit. I think he probably gets it from his sister. Is she in here? Okay. She's, she's a middle schooler, so you can imagine. And Judah's like in first grade, but he's gotten in this because Reagan is always picking on him with her words just in, in little ways just because she's a middle schooler uh, and sometimes big ways. Judah has gotten really good at comebacks, and I've talked to you about this a little bit before. He's gotten really good at just being like, what, you know? And so then he likes to try out that on me, you know what I mean? And so the other day I said, son, get your clothes on. We got to go. And turn your Xbox off or turn your TV off. And uh, he, was, he was sitting there. I said, son, did you hear me? I need to turn your TV off. And he really didn't say my I think he muttered something, you know, whatever. And uh, finally, he turns his TV off and he goes, you happy now? And I... Now, I didn't give him the Johnny basketball lesson, but I wanted to, you know. Everything inside me it was like, boy, I know you like your lips, but I will just slap them straight off your face. And, and I'm trying to be better because my BC virgin was is, is a is a very angry and judgmental person. You don't know that about me, but I'm very angry and judgmental. And especially when it comes to people. 
talking to me like that. So I've learned to kind of not respond in reaction, but to try to, to do what Jesus says and respond in love. And so I, I looked at him and said, son, don't you ever say that to me again. I'm your father. Okay? Now that's step one. Step two is this. That is not who you are, Judah. Because as much as he would like to say whatever it is that everybody else is saying or he's heard say or heard on TV or whatever, that is not who he is. It may be natural. It may have felt kind of fun. It may feel like the proper response to your dad telling you to do something you don't want to do. Are you happy now? But it is not who he is. Why? First of all, because his last name is Block. Second of all, he's a man of God. Third of all, he lives at a higher level than everybody else, and I'll keep him at that standard. So here's the thing about your life is that God has made you a slave to righteousness. It doesn't mean that he wants to beat you to death until you do what he wants. It means that he convicts you of your sin, which is your shortcomings, the places where you're deficient. And he says, that's not who you are. You're righteous. And that's why you can't do the things you, you keep trying to go back to and you feel guilty about. And you're like, not, nobody's looking at you and making you feel guilty. It's just that the Holy Spirit is saying, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. You can't do that anymore. You can't do that anymore. Not because you can't, but because your name is different. So although you would rather just sit around and talk about your boss with everybody else, you can't do it anymore. Why? That's the way I've always done. I mean, I go to a new job and everything is good. It's, it's awesome. This is way different than my old job. And then when they do something that's unfair or they do something they have to make a tough call, you sit around and blast them with your words. And something inside of you says, that's not who you are because you're a slave to righteousness. And this is what Paul is trying to convey in your life is that something is happening on the inside of you, okay? But your old mentality is set up targets of security. So as long as I do this, I'm saved. If I don't, I'm not. If I do this, I'm in good standing. God will talk to me. If I don't, then God won't talk to me. He says, no, it's not true. As a matter of fact, you're new, and so the old person is dead. What happens is your old habits die hard, and so you have to continually submit and offer yourself to this new way of life. You have to offer yourself. Offer, offer, offer yourself. Just like you offered yourself over here. She said, let's go home. I'd like to take you back to my place. And you said, yes, I'll offer myself. They opened up the bottles. And you said, yes, I'll offer myself. They said, come over here and let's talk about them. And you sat down and you offered yourself. Now what happens is over here, the Holy Spirit says, we don't do that. And you get to offer yourself. You better shut up about those people. Don't judge them. You get to offer yourself. You get to respond in love instead of anger. You get to offer yourself convincing you 
of the person you are now after Christ instead of before Christ. Somebody say amen. I used to live on a cruise ship. Now, a cruise ship is interesting because it's always moving. Uh, has anybody ever been on a cruise before? Okay. At one point, we, we had a, a, a hurricane was in the Bahama area, and we had to reroute, you know, to go around. Um, but that was the rockiest it ever was on the boat. It was like, you know, the boat would lean left, and you would, like, walk into the wall in the hallway. It was, it was crazy. It was crazy. But here's the thing. The boat is always moving. First get on, you can't quite get used to it. And then after a while, you, you just get used to it. You, don't, you forget that it's moving. You know what I mean? It's just always, 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 always moving. Even when it gets at port, they connect it to, I would say the dock, but it's something bigger than that for a cruise ship. And uh, the boat is still moving. And so, one time we were out in the middle of the ocean, and they wake you up in the middle of the morning, and the, these Italian guys get on, and they're like kind of scary. They're, they are like the security slash uh, OSHA of the ocean, and they get on your boat, and they bring all the employees out on the top deck, and they say, uh, you, and they will quiz you on a spot if you know where it is, that they want to see like a, a safety thing, a fire extinguisher, a, a, a proper hose, what you're supposed to do if, you, if this happens. And they just randomly ask people. Now, you're supposed to, when you work there, you're supposed to go to a class. And my older brother worked on the boat. He said, nah, don't go to the class. And so I'm like one of those people like, I want to know what's up, you know, just in case those crazy Italian guy, general guys with the, the suits, you know, <laughs> uh, get on the boat. And they look at me, tallest guy in the back, and they're like, you, what do you say? And I'm like, I, don't, I didn't go to the class. And then they fire me, and they kick me off the boat, or they kill me, or whatever. I don't know what they're going to do. So one time, they get on the, they, they call us, they wake us up, boat drill, boat drill. They go up to the top deck, and we're standing there. And I'm just like trying to look down, you know, look over, whatever it is. It's like six o'clock in the morning, and we're out on top of this boat. And they're like asking questions. Okay. What they do is they pull up with their boat and they get off onto your boat. Your boat is anchored at that point. In the ocean, they send an anchor down, anchor the boat so it doesn't go anywhere, but your boat is still moving. The whole time I was on the boat, the boat moved. Moved constantly. Worst weather, it would be walking into walls and crazy feeling and sleeping in beds where you felt like you're going to roll off. But something happened, even though the boat drill and the Italian guys came on board, I was certain that everything would be okay because they dropped anchor. And Although the boat was still moving, I wasn't worried about who was driving. I wasn't worried about where we were going. I knew that we would make it safely and that we would be safe because we had dropped anchor. In your life, you're scared about who's coming on your boat. You're scared about the rockiness because it always feels a little uneasy. And many of us have gotten 
comfortable with the uneasiness until everything hits the fan. And then we're like, ah, what do we do? But in the worst times, whether it's Italian soldiers coming on your boat or, or not scared that you're going to you not have the right words to say or you don't know all the answers or, or whatever it is, you can find security that you're going to live because you have the right anchor. And so what Romans 6 is trying to tell us is that when you go from slave to sin to slave to righteousness, it's about not about knowing all the right answers, doing all the things, hitting all the right markers. I'm competitive here. I won that. I've got security here. Well, actually, what he's saying is when you join my team, when you receive my salvation, there is nothing that can shake your boat because you are anchored. You may have forgotten what it felt like to walk on dry ground each day. Maybe you're getting better. Maybe you're getting worse, whatever it is. But you are attached to something solid. And Hebrews says this, we have a hope as an anchor for our souls. Every day, I am righteous because of Jesus. I'm the righteousness of God. I know I messed it up, but today I'm going to offer myself again and again because I can't do anything else. Because something inside of me is convincing me that's not who I am. That's not what I do. That's not where I'm going. I am righteous. And enough people are living their life like they're still over here. They're not convinced of anything. They don't have an anchor. They're lost at sea, blowing about, trying to find the right north star to follow after. God says, no, 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 come over here. I'll hold you down. I got you. You're righteous. And then he goes to work at the things in your life that don't look like him. Because what happens is, he says, now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. I don't know why I feel this way, but I just got to move towards righteousness. I don't know why my old self would have done it that way, said that, done that, handled it that way, but my new self, I don't know, it's just like, I offer myself to holiness. Offer myself to God and His righteousness. And this is the life we live after Christ. Say, Brandon, I, I still mess up every day. We'll join the club, man. Join the club. Guess what? You have another opportunity to offer yourself to the type of person that you are, righteous in God. I know, but I don't, I, not everything in me feels so righteous. I just feel so bad and dirty. And it's like, yeah, but you get to offer yourself to the person that you are, righteous and holy. You get to live in this new way, and you'll find that your old habits will begin to change if you live like who you are. Trust me, I, a dude says the wrong thing to me, stands too close to my wife, I, I feel like hitting him in the face. When I offer myself to what I don't always feel like doing, but I know who I am, things change.
Wouldn't it be great if you just got saved and everything just, you know, different? The whole mind's different. Everything's different. And you go home like, well, you're not, <laughs> not as different as the thought. You're alone by yourself. You're sitting in your car. You get depressed. You get anxious. Just feeling sorry for yourself. You feel addicted. You feel all sorts of things. What Paul's trying to tell us in Romans is you get to. You get to. You get to. Offer yourself to this new life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God is offering himself to you continually as a supply, as a help, as an anchor for your soul, for your life. Maybe you're trying to figure out this relationship thing and you've been told that, you know, you got to do better. You got to do better. You got to do better. And maybe you do. But it's not going to make you righteous. Only Jesus can make you righteous. And then he's going to call you higher. He's going to call you higher. The first thing he's going to do is call you to a higher level of love. A higher level of love is a greater commitment to God and a greater commitment to others. And, and trust me, if you just operate on those two things, your life will transform day by day, minute by minute. Maybe if you're here today, say, Brandon, I feel this. I've been needing this message, the truth of who I really am. Will you shoot your hand up at me real quick? Thank you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to put it back down. Thank you. Second thing is this. Maybe you're here and you don't, you don't know what I'm talking about, this before Christ, after Christ. Maybe you just came here to get some version of religion. You're not going to find it here. I'm sorry. But you're going to find something so much better. You're going to find life. Life that's full. You see, the story of Jesus is this, that he died to become your sin, your punishment. You've been beating yourself up over and over and over and over again for who you used to be, things that you've done, things that you continually do. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is not music. It's not a book. It's not a genre. It is the good news about Jesus that he died to become your sin. In exchange for that, he'll give you life. Life, new life, righteousness. He takes your old life, strikes it, wipes your sin clean, and gives you fresh start. He says, I forgive your sins. All you have to do is believe in me. And the Bible says that if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is who he said he was, that you'll be saved. Saved means that he takes your old life, your plain Jane, addicted, problematic, sinner life, and makes you new. Here at EFS, we have a simple prayer that we say that just leads you in that relationship. You just say, Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow after you. And if you're here today, and no matter what part of life you're in, you just want to make a commitment, and we want to receive that free forgiveness. The Bible says that 
If you admit your sin, he is faithful to forgive it. That's it. You just admit. You don't have to pay it off. You don't have to work it off. You just admit it. Confess it. And he'll forgive you. So I'm going to pray that prayer just line by line. And we just all pray it together. Jesus, I believe in you. Go ahead. Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow after you. Amen. That's the beginning of a new life. I want to pray for each and every one of us. Father, I thank you for bringing us to this place. Help us to live in this newness, this after our death, dying to our old self and living in life. God, you are absolutely incredible. Nobody offers what you offer real life to the fullest. Forgive us for getting it wrong. That salvation is a free gift. Righteousness is a free gift. And that you give us the power to get up and do it right the next time. God, we offer ourselves to you. Our heart, soul, our attitudes, our actions, everything. Help us to remember who we are every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give God a big praise with your hands? And Amen.